like, I don't know if you guys have been seeing the stuff that's popping up on like Google search results and stuff where, where all this AI generated random bullshit content, it will just like, it's just straight up lies about stuff. Now where you'll, you'll do, I, I saw a search for, I can't remember what it was, but it was a search for just like a fact. It was just like, oh yeah, it was, it was, are there any countries in Africa that start with the letter K was the search that I saw. And then there was just some random weird website that Google pulled the answer from, you know, and it was just like, it just said no. And it was like the closest, <laughs> the closest is Kenya, which starts with a K sound, but not Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 439 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the miscellaneous programmer. I'm Sam and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today's October 27th, 20 Jubilee. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be explicit words and possibly even phrases on this show. <laughs> whole phrases. Also, whole, this is whole ass Halloween explicit phrases. <laughs> right? Because it's, it's the closest day to Halloween that we got for a podcast. So this has got to be the Halloween episode. It is. It's not and themed those, like that, but it, it no. is though. Just it is according yeah. to time. That's and you know, the spookiest thing about this episode is that it's the Halloween episode, but it's not even happening on Halloween, which means it's like a jump scare, you know, yeah. like you didn't know this was going to be a Halloween episode and neither did we, frankly. Yeah. And that's how they get you, mm-hmm. you know, terrifying. It's like, it's like know. ghosts. You can't see them. Don't know that they're, that they're there. They don't really take place in time in a meaningful way, you know? So mm-hmm. it's basically the ghost so, episode. Quick question about jump scares. Uh, in horror movies, jump scares happen a lot, right? Where somebody would be, you know, I don't know, they'd be like in the bathroom and then suddenly, oh, there's a ghost in the mirror, right? Yeah, it's always when they turn around or look up or, you know, yeah, whatever. From a, from a storytelling perspective, I literally don't understand what's happening there. I understand it's to scare the audience, yeah, that's, but that in the world, purpose. why would a ghost appear and then just disappear what what's it trying to do here what are you what are you doing here Seth, the ghosts have an inscrutable kind of series of motives that they're trying to you know work with they're four-dimensional beings you know sort of slipped out of time and space in a weird yeah. way mm-hmm. so you know i think it's hard to prescribe the like expectations for showing up at a party as a ghost. Like, what does that even mean? You know? That's true. As a fourth dimensional being uh, for the ghost, it, in its mind, it just showed up, had a whole conversation and, mm-hmm. and was trying to explain some things and it even brought some snacks, you know, yep. but like you can't perceive all that stuff because that's kind of happening in the fourth no. dimension. Yeah. Exactly. So all you see is the ghost is just like, Meh! and then it just is gone. But also it's, it's trying to be polite happened. too, right? Because if it just appears right in front of you, like that's... Like it's like that's true. If you were tr- if you were trying to to not startle somebody, you know, you would you would not appear right in front of them because that would be this most startling thing. So you you just kind of that's true. Appear you quietly, them, sneak up behind them, quietly yeah. sneak up so that when a person <laughs> turns around, on the shoulder gently, trying to ease it, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just ghost. That's just ghost culture. That's how they show their respect. Yeah, it's but like this bowing. is why they get so mad yeah. though, because because then like. It's kind of, it's kind of like, so in, in my own household, uh, my, uh-huh. my wife has, has one of those like classic, uh, even though I live here too, you know, she's like, if I, 
come around the corner or, oh. <laughs> or you know, three rooms away, but she sees me out of the corner of her eye. It's it's yeah. always a jump scare, you know? Mm-hmm. And at this point, it's just amusing to all parties. But there was a period of time where I got really frustrated because I was like, I mean, she can't help it, but like, I couldn't help my emotional response. <laughs> yeah, she's not, she's not like she's not thinking through. Purpose, but I'm yeah. like, I'm like, I live here. It's like, it's kind of, it bugs me that like, I scare you every time I'm just like around, you know? Uh, yeah, and of so course it's not about so, you, but it exactly, feels like about it. Me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was in my younger days when I was less empathic, you know. Oh, sure, before I was an empath. Uh, <laughs> but but so but it makes me wonder though. So these ghosts, right? They're popping in, trying to be polite, mm. popping in That's behind you, right? Tap you on the shoulder. On shoulder. Hey, buddy, mm-hmm. I got I got a message for you. And it's gonna be hard for me and to say because I'm screaming. a fucking ghost. I'm talking across dimensions. It's gonna be really weird, right? Yep. Uh, it's like. You decided that what I look like is spooky because, like, I'm just here in the form that I am, you know? So I'm, mm-hmm. it's not my fault. Yeah, I'm just vibing. Right. And then at the yeah. response every time it happens is the person just fucking freaks out. Loses their mind. Screams. Loses their mind. Away. And so over time, now imagine, like, you're a ghost. You're outside of time. As far as, as far as like, this ghost's experience, they've probably experienced this same phenomenon, like, just every, every single every time. time. Millions yeah. of times. Every time they try to communicate with anybody, they probably experience it all simultaneously, you know? So mm-hmm. over time, they're, they because they're fourth just, dimensional beings. Because they're fourth dimensional beings. Yeah. So over yeah. time, they just start to just, they're like, I'm just trying to be polite here. And no matter what I do, you know, I just get this response. And so after some time, they lean into it. They're like, I guess, I guess I am the villain. And if I'm going to be the villain, like, I'm going to go, go hard. hard Let's know? put blood on these walls, you know? Exactly. Somebody, somebody needs to make an RPG type game where you play as a a ghost or a party of ghosts, try just trying to accomplish basic things, uh, but everybody just screams and panics, and you're you got to figure out how to make friends, how to get a job. It's almost like an Octodad situation, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you have to figure out how to make people not shit their pants whenever you approach. I think you know it's a skill. It's a good it skill to develop. Especially yeah. as a ghost, it's required if you want to. Yeah, want to be meshed into society these days. You can't yeah. be making people shit their pants when you, you just can't. It's just no, it's like, so but it's, it's the same kind of you know. It's like in these movies where like the the mirror fogs up and there's a message on it. It's like yeah, well, how else was the ghost supposed to tell you stuff, right? Like yeah, yeah, because every time they show up, you just scream in their face and slap them, right? Yeah. Like. Mm-hmm. Of That's course, the they're going to this way they fog. can do it. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, just because it's a ghost doesn't mean they have ill intent. Get, it's twenty twenty three, everybody. Yeah, get your shit Jeez. together. Come on. All right. Anyways, uh, we were just going to do a bunch of questions. Oh, also, I'd like to thank our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net, uh, whose monthly donations help keep the podcast running. Thank you very much. I uh, we just blew right past that yes. earlier, so yeah, you yeah, know we do appreciate it. Uh, so we're just going to do questions today. And these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. And the highest upvoted question for today comes from inside the house. Mm. It's coming from Bscotch Carl. Uh, extra I love that. I love that Carl asks questions to the podcast because, like, he's always asking us questions sort of throughout the week and stuff to like get more info about you know how everything works because he's doing a lot of QA testing and stuff. Um, but he's still taking the time to. Be like, mm, I think a lot of people would want to know the answer to this. Yeah, but he just know. goes and asks all the <laughs> podcast page instead. Yep. That's awesome. So Carl says, has your ability as a game developer or programmer ever given you an advantage when it comes to playing a game? For example, mm. knowing the basics of how something works via code and going in to edit or modify the game's code to improve your own experience. 
Oh, I've never done that really. Yeah, I haven't bothered on the modding side. I think on the design side, yeah, I think you just because you are you're just very fluent, ideally, in all the different designs. The, the language so, of yeah, game, the language of games. UI and so design, you can read yeah. them and then and then make better decisions, especially if there's skill trees involved, that sort of thing. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like my in my youths, I remember just sort of generally being even playing like Diablo, where you basically had to, you know a button to click. I uh, had a hard time picking what skills to use and all that stuff, you know, because it's just, what does it all mean? And now it's yeah. still easier to think about. So. Now all you do every day is think about exactly that yeah. question. So, yeah. And you've been doing it for like a decade. So, yeah. So I think in that front, yeah. I don't know. I haven't deployed the like particular skills outside of the design sphere though, you know? Yeah, I I think uh, it has helped me when it comes to um, being like a degenerate min-maxer, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I think mm-hmm. is an accurate description of your approach to games. Yeah. So like, for example, the hearing for the example, stories that Seth has about any game he's played, but especially recently the Baldur's Gate stuff where you know, it gets... Yeah. Well, I've kind wild. of, I've kind of landed, I've, well, I kind of realized, I don't know, well, this is like a chicken or egg thing, right? Like, did I become a game developer because I like to do this kind of thing or, or did I develop a passion for this kind of thing because of being a game developer? Right, right. I, I think it, I think it's hard to tell where, like where it starts, but yeah, like if, for example, when I play a Kerbal Space Program, I would see things like, I would find out that there's a moon of basically their equivalent of Jupiter that has an oxygen atmosphere, right? And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, can I fly a jet there? Mm-hmm. Because jets require this an oxygen breathing engine, a jet engine, right? And so then I'm thinking, okay, I'll need to come up with a space mission to to make a jet that I can fly, that it's like light enough that I can fly on a rocket into space, blah, 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 uh, make it all the way basically to Jupiter and then fly this jet on the moon of Jupiter and then somehow get back, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I if, if ever I think of something like that where I'm like, I wonder if this is possible, mm-hmm. and then I kind of just can't help but go try to do, do it. it. and do, Go try to do it. So like in Baldur's Gate 3, I'm doing a, a solo tactician playthrough as a bard, which means normally it's a four-person game. Like you have a party of four, and I'm I'm soloing it, so I've re- I'm recruited the party members, but they just stay back at my camp just for story. Like, I got purposes. this. You guys just hang out, by uh, Yeah, and I put, and I chose Bard because Bard isn't really generally thought of as like a powerful combat kind of a character. Um, and I'm like, how can I how can I win combat encounters? You know, by myself as a on the Bard difficulty yeah. on the hardest game difficulty. And, uh, you know, I have to be like super creative. I'm about halfway through the game by now uh, with this playthrough. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like it forces you to think really in depth about how every aspect of the game works and like come up with strategies and stuff. And I find that like if I'm not doing that, then I just I kind of lose interest you know, after a while. Yeah, but that sounds uh, to me like this is one of those the, – the kind of stuff that you're into, like the stuff that gets your – mind going you know is mm-hmm. the kind of stuff that works for min maxing games and works for programming right yeah yeah but it doesn't it's sound just, it's like ex- there's exploring the space you yeah know, but it doesn't sound rules. like those two things actually necessarily are talking to each other no it's much. just it's just two well it's just two expressions i think of the same yeah. tendency you know yeah because I, um, I know for my own case like and i, I think I'm, I'm the least i'm the least of a gamer i think probably on almost basically the whole team really you know uh, and so when I play games, I like to, it's like purely as like just for fun way to spend time thing, you know? And, uh, and I've never liked thinking very much while I play games, 
I've always wanted, like, I like my first person shooters. I like my kind of light RPGs where I'm not, not really making meaningful choices, actually, you know, hence Fallout games and stuff, mm-hmm. um, where I'm just kind of participating in a story that's interesting. And then my moment to moment stuff doesn't require me to think very hard. And I can just kind of like have fun doing stuff, you know? Um, and, and since I don't like to think very much while I'm playing games, then the fact that I could like think through why things are the way I are from, from both a design and a right, program right, perspective just kind of doesn't really come into play because you're on vacation. You're, yeah, on, I'm on you're vacation. not here to, yeah, yeah, I feel that. But, but I think where it does come up is mostly, I think similar to saying it was like design side stuff um, mm-hmm. uh, because the way that stuff actually gets implemented in games differs just so enormously right between mm-hmm. within a game between 82 games and so on that that even being a really skilled programmer um, that actually gives you very little insight into like how yeah how the yeah. game works yeah. right and the design comes way more into play uh, but I think this is also where I think I think things like QA and speed running, which are honestly just the same discipline, you know, um, <laughs> I think, I think those things are the ones where like you learn about quirks of video games in this like really technical way that gets, that gets you to more to those, those questions of like, how do I just make this do what I want kind of a thing. Right. Um, because of the sheer breadth of ways that, that, that things can work right in games. And like you find the little slots in between stuff that's supposed to, you know, supposed mm-hmm. to go. And like, yeah, it is the case that if you if you are a game programmer and or a game or a technical game designer, you'll also be aware of those things. But I think unless you spend a lot of time trying to actually yeah. like fuck yeah, with yeah. those, then it doesn't really matter that you can that you could if you thought about it like think of the ways because the first thing you have to do is be like into that way of approaching games right so i think like again qa and speedrunners like that's that's where the skill is that gives you that and if that was also informed by being a game programmer uh like yeah there'd be no end to the chaos you could right you could wreak yeah you know? oh can yeah. you wreak chaos or only havoc i you feel can like re- you can wreak whatever you want you know you could wreak, wreak happiness havoc. can you wreak happiness Wreak happiness upon <laughs> upon this entire village. upon this village. Yeah, can you do that? Is that you why not? That? Is it reeking just doing something with a lot of force? Also, reek it's just weird. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, So there are, there are two things that I've noticed hmm. about being a game developer that has kind of fucked with my gaming experiences. One is I know, like I know that. Uh, I, so I rarely try to like uh, I, don't, I don't I don't hack things or anything like that. But I generally can pretty quickly figure out what the designer or game developer was going for, like what the experience they're trying to deliver. And every now and then I do try to explore the bounds of like how far yeah. they thought. Uh, and so, so for example, because there's you have to give up at some point always. Yeah. So for example, the game Amnesia, spooky spooky game, Amnesia: The Dark Descent. Um, they do a lot of jump scares. Monster comes out, it's like, Mah! and then like runs around a corner or something. What they're expecting you to do is do what the monster did, which is also go, Mah! but like run backwards and run away and go around a different corner. And so whenever I'm playing games like that, I, I always chase the thing that I'm supposed to run from to see what it, to see what it does. Yeah. So like, I like if you run around the corner in, the, in that scenario, the monster comes out. If you chase it, it runs around the corner and just instantly d- disappears. Yeah, like it's just it's just gone, right? Because like you're not ex- you're supposed to be scared and thinking like where did it go, 
right? <laughs> or when's it coming back? But it just it just vanishes. It's mm-hmm. it was there to just scare you. That's it. Yeah. Uh, but then the other the other thing that fucks with me now is now that I know about all the, like the technical stuff of how games run and and all that. It drives me insane when people use the word lag to talk about frame rate dips. It is that is not lag. Okay. <laughs> Somebody will go, my game is lagging. And I'll be like, what's happening? And they're like, it, my my screen is frozen. I'm like, that's not lag. That's not a network problem. <laughs> but, but it's experienced the same way though, right? Because your experience of network lag for a net, for a network, for a game where basically the code is running on a server and then your client is then kind of doing Showing what the server the tells it to you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, your experience of that is the same, which is stuff gets like stuttery and kind of, or, or just like freezes. Well, it's not whatever. though, right? Because like a frame rate dip is like, you. It's it's like the game starts looking like a slideshow. But mm-hmm. but things are still responding. Like you push a button and the ability happens or, or whatever. Because And the reason it drives me crazy is because one of them you can do something about and the other you can't. And if you – right? It's so like if you're having frame rate issues, uh, especially like in a game like like World of Warcraft or something, you can like, you know, reboot the game and it will like re- reload your add-ons or something like that and it's fine. But if it's network lag, then rebooting the game will not change right, anything. Right. And if you and if you talk about them as the same problem, then you have all these scenarios where somebody will think that something is within their control, but it's not. And then they'll like reload the game for no reason or vice versa. They won't reload the game even though they should and it would fix mm-hmm. it, right? Because they because they talk about them as the same thing. Uh, and every time it happens, I just, I don't know. It's just like, it's one of those little nitpicks that I just can't handle. <laughs> It's just like lag and frame rates are two just totally different things, right? Uh, but you know, I get it. Like you're not thinking about it, so yeah. Uh, te- but yeah, I don't know. Technical knowledge, like yeah. I, I mean, my my own experience of all of this is that for the most part, the more I know about how games work and how they're designed, uh, the more it gives me kind of like two diverging outcomes at the same time. Where one is, I mm-hmm. become a lot more tolerant of certain kinds of jank because I'm like, oh, you know, I can see why they decided not to deal with that. Or oh, right, I, can, right. I can see why like they were like, oh, well, if we do try to adjust, this is going to fuck with this other thing. And so we're just going to let that jank be there. But it also makes me a lot more intolerant of certain design choices and certain jank, right? Mm-hmm. Because I can also, because I also yeah. know like it didn't have to be this way, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think, it, like you, you know, we've been talking about Starfield a lot recently. Like the field of view slider yeah, like Starfield. There, there are certain kinds of things. So I think also as a, as we've kind of like gotten deeper into the, to this career and, you know, made more stuff. Uh, and especially for me as a, as an elder millennial gamer, you know, where like the, the classic kind of trajectory that people that are into games kind of go through is like in their youth, you play a game for like a hundred hours straight and you fucking love every second of it. Right. And then as you gain less access to time to go do that kind of thing, people who are into games tend to just play more games less. Right. And so you get this more breadth of gameplay experiences and, and so I think the thing that as I get older that drives me the craziest is games that didn't take the time to just give me a smooth experience so that I don't have to go spend that time like yep, yep. fighting the game, doing research externally, how to do things or whatever, right? Because uh, we're – I would have been to come in and just like 
just play the game. Just have well, a like good you're time. You're coming there to take vacation. So yeah, exactly. Not, if it's not a resort and they're like, all right, here's the keys. We'll walk you to your room. Here's your robes. Yeah. Slippers on the floor. Ready to go. Yeah. yeah and it's, it's all the that. little stuff, right? Because it's, it's one of the things like, like so much about making games is so hard. And so, so much about the, because so much of it is the design of all these like inner, interworking complex components that all have to talk to each other and all be balanced and all this kind of stuff, right? And again, some of the easiest stuff conceptually, like all of it's difficult technically, right? But some of the easiest stuff conceptually is like little micro interaction decisions in the UIs and that kind of stuff, right? Where like if so I like have to- saving your position in a menu, you know? Yeah, you know, or if I have to press- like yeah, if I have to press 10 buttons to, to figure out which is the one that's going to open my inventory because it's none of the typical buttons that'll do that in the other games, right? Uh, like that kind of stuff, um, like just drives me absolutely <laughs> up the wall where I'm actually then, and it's not the funny thing, right? And, and and so there are certain things I've just become like really tolerant of and others that I'm just, that I've become, and those are very different things than they were before we started this path. Um, like before we started this path, if there was a, if there were, unblinking character sprites in a game, mm. I'd be like, I, don't, I wouldn't even notice. Hardly notice, yep. But now it's one of those things that, that, I, that I hate. Like if I see that, I'm like, they have to blink. They have to. It's so easy. Yeah, it's so easy blink. and they feel so dead. You know, it feels yeah. like the yeah. life you've not put into this game by not having blinking characters, you know? Uh, it's, it's one of those like appreciation for details. Actually, I think that's really what yeah. it is. It's like, the details that I appreciate have completely changed. Um, and they're mostly about my own moment to moment experience in the game. Um, where, yeah, where in the past it just, yeah, it was just different. It was just different yeah. stuff that I cared about. See, yeah. you know, this makes me think of speaking of blinking as a means of like, if the, if the developer took the time to add blinking to the characters, right. Then you're like, okay, like they're invested in trying to make this world feel alive. Cause it's such a, it's a small touch, mm -hmm. right. You didn't have to do. The opposite is true. Uh, and I, I watched the show One Piece, mm -hmm. the live action show. Yep. Fucking great. Uh, by the way, I didn't know anything about all of the only thing I knew about One Piece is it's popular. That's the oh, that's the yeah. one thing that's I knew also about what I knew it. when I started it, which is fun because we both experienced many surprises because we didn't know we yeah. were getting into. Yeah. As this goes through the first episode of the show, there were about three or four different times where I just kind of said out loud, what the fuck am I looking? <laughs> yeah. What is happening? Uh -huh. But like in kind of a good way. And it's like, it was pretty, it's pretty dumb, but like in a way where it recognizes that it's absurd and it just kind of leans into it so hard that it just works. Um, but there's this character in the show uh, named Mihawk, who's this badass swordsman. And he has these piercing bright yellow eyes, okay? But something I didn't even notice until I had watched a, like a YouTube clip from the show. And I saw a comment in there and somebody pointed out that that character never blinks. Hmm. And I was like, I was like, there's like, in like when you see him in the show, all you can, you, you feel something about him where like, he's just kind of alien almost. Yeah, unsettling. Right? Yep. And you know, like something's unsettling about him. And then you kind of realize like, yeah, after all the screen time that he has, he never blinks. Mm -hmm. No, that's ever, weird. Right. Yeah. And so like, this is kind of the opposite, but it's the same thing, which it's is like principle. taking that time to put this little touch where it's like, there's this little thing about this character that, that uh, shows freakier. that they give a shit, you know, to, yeah. to go into that level of detail. And most people won't notice, but they'll feel it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, this, this is also why, you know, hardcore fans of things get so excited about like little details of things because it, it should like the MCU stuff, especially in the 
the first first phase. I don't know what the phases mm-hmm. are, but like, but I remember there were these little details where I'd see people that were like so fucking pumped about stuff. They would take like a still, you know, from the movie and be like, "Look, there's like, like at this at this point in time, they have this like shot of like this compound." And mm-hmm. there's this like pattern out on the lawn because this other thing landed there in this previous moment. And like, they didn't have to, like, no, like nobody would notice that. So they didn't have to make sure that was in there. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But somebody but did. Right. Yep. Uh, and yeah, and that's the kind of stuff that like, I think that's what I've grown the most appreciation for it. I think in media in general, um, but in particular in games is that level of that attention level of to detail. And I want to see that in like the game itself, like what the game is doing. But that actually matters a lot less to me today than it being in how I interact with the game. Like that's yeah. that's actually at this point like where I want to see that detail the most. But I, I feel like those things often go hand in hand because like if they the developer is yeah. taking the if de- they're taking time to 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 have all these little details and really painstakingly make sure that everything is perfect. They're doing the same thing everywhere. They're doing it in the UIs, you know, all of that stuff. Like I, there, I saw this, I saw this hilarious, uh, very brief. Reddit exchange in the Baldur's Gate subreddit where um, where the person's the post was titled like I finally found something that Larian missed because like basically the reputation I was like they thought of ev- they've just thought of everything right and and the post said uh, uh, so there's this this uh, species called the Githyanki in in uh, Baldur's Gate or in in D and D and they come from eggs they hatch from eggs and so the person's post was like Lazel is a Gith. But she has a belly button, and oh, gifts come, come from eggs, right? And, and he's like, they missed something. And then first, first the the exchange was actually things that come from eggs do have belly buttons. For example, snakes, blah blah blah, because there's a yolk sac. Yeah, they're right? still also um, attached. They just yeah, have a yolk the person, sac instead of yeah. A, yeah. So then the person was like, ah, oh, dang it! But then somebody else posted like, actually, if you have Gale and Lazel in your party together at some point, Gale will. Ask Lazel about the fact that she has a belly button that she came from an egg. <laughs> so not only did they think of it, they fucking recorded a, an entire a voice, voice exchange <laughs> about it. Uh, wow. so that's just that thing where, that's like, no good. matter what you think of, they've they also already thought did. of it. They already mm-hmm. thought of it. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. This just, is the it just shows like, they care. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, that, it's exactly it. It's, and I've, I think I've mentioned this before. Um, it's because I have a vape pen thingy. Um, it's the same kind of a deal. It's like it's that level of care. It's, it's a vape pen. Its job is to get hot. That's its, its only job, job is, right? to, is to blow clouds. Yeah, but they <laughs> but they set up and, and the only way to interact with it is there's a button to turn on and there's a little LED little LED kind of flower thingy on it, right? And but the attention to detail for what that little glowy flower thing does, right? right? And it also has a little it has a little vibrate that it could do, right? So it has this like it pulses in a certain way, it changes colors in a certain way to like just be really informative to you, but in a way that's just obvious the whole time like what's happening it turns like the light turns blue when it's cooling down you know and it turns green when it's ready and all this kind of stuff right and but when you pick it up it has like a little gyro sensor too like again none of this has to happen right but when you pick it up it's like oh you must want to use it and so if it was in the cooling down phase it goes back into the heating up phase right and Mm -hmm. and then also because because at some point they're like well we got a gyroscope in here and these little leds Right, and so they were like, "Let's put some games on this on this bad boy." <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. So it has like tilt base, like Simon says, games built into this fucking vape pen, right? So and you can so you can get get uh, you can take some fat rips, yeah, and get, then, high, get high, and then just kind of wiggle this vape pen. Out of <laughs> yeah, <'cause> it's, <laughs> yeah, it's the kind of thing. It's like, and, and I don't, 
like I tried the game once once I realized it was there and I was like, oh, that's neat. And then I've never again because I don't actually want to play a game. Because who cares? Okay, Simon says. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> but it's one of those like it's again that level of attention to detail for the thing. Maybe just like I'm like I'm now all in on this product. Right. Even yep. though before that I wouldn't have given a shit in the slightest about the like it's a vape pen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a people tool. feel it. They, who cares? People know, you know people know when you are thinking about their experience. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's obvious, right? And it, and it makes them want to reciprocate. Like, I actually, I went, I went, and I bought the uh, like extra ten dollar collector's edition package for Baldur's Gate, which has some like just some items in it or something that mm-hmm. I don't even care about or need or want. But I was like, I need to give them more money, <laughs> right. and this is the only thing that they had available, so I just bought it. <laughs> yeah, because like I could tell that they give a shit, and I want them to be, do more. I want more from them, yeah. right? Uh, so whatever I can do. Uh, anyways, all right. Next question comes from Jumpy Craig Quadjoin, who says, Friendos, I like automated testing. It is super neat. I'm exploring the concept in game development. Can you tell us more about the testing processes you have before sending the game to a QA team? Uh Yes. Well, yeah, we'll talk. Well, first, we'll just get into like testing, automated testing, what's hard about it in games. And then we can talk about what we're actually doing. Right. So, so with automated tests, you kind of have, there's a whole bunch of things and ways of testing. Right. But your sort of two kind of classic ones are your unit tests and your, we'll call them, uh, there's lots of other names for these things, but we'll call them end to end tests as the two kind of big camps. Mm-hmm. A unit test. We got some in-out function thing, like something you, just, you plug in some stuff, you get something on the other side. Uh, pretty straightforward. Usually, it doesn't take place over time, though it though it might, right? But some kind of a so an example example in-out. might be like so an example might be like I have a function that adds two numbers together, yeah, and it gives me back the result. That's a that's a very basic function yeah. that does very, very clear specific in-out thing. relationships. Yeah, and whenever you give it. Whenever you give it two numbers, you know what it's supposed to give you back, yeah. right? You and, know. and most importantly, it kind of works in isolation, right? So it doesn't really matter what else is going on. That thing should always give you the same response. Yeah. Blah, 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 if right? you give it a two and a three, you should always get a five, yeah. no matter what. So that's one right? class of tests. And it's really good to have those because I just make sure like the underlying core logic of things actually behaves, right? So, so, what, so what does one of these tests look like? So like if I want to test this add two numbers together function, how would – like what would I – what would my test be? Yeah, How so you would, you would have basically a whole bunch of known correct input-output relationships. And right. some, so, you'd be like, so you'd be like, all right, I'm going to give it a 5 and a 7, and I should get back 12, right? So that yeah. if, it, if it doesn't give you a 12 back, then you know it's not then working. Then you, you, you have it throw an error and... Yep. You and you also take some cases it. where it shouldn't work or it should have an error or where – or take some known like, incorrect answers and make sure that it's – that those are not what comes back, right? Yeah. So, like what if I give it a number and then a word? What does yeah, it do? What, like, what happens? Um, yeah. And, and so it's basically providing when – you, when you basically wrote some code to do something, you had some – assumptions about what would be going into it and like what that input operation was supposed to be. And so a test is basically, here's a collection of things that I know what the outcome should be given how I designed this code. And then you just run them against it and check them and see if that's actually true. Right. And so the nice thing about this is you can do this really comprehensively for like most of the little pieces of code in your code base, you could write a unit test for and 
then like you can have when you boot up the game, you just run all those tests, see what happens, right? Yeah. So these if are you nice. boot it up like in developer mode because you don't want those yeah, tests you don't to want run that when the player happens. boots yeah. it. Yeah. But you know, yeah. yeah. So you'll have like a different developer launch versus that, or or if you're doing things remotely on a remote server somewhere, then you'll launch it in a special mode and you know that that kind of stuff. Um, so these are nice because having all those tests in place mean that if you change something somewhere then you can be confident that if you accidentally broke something as a consequence of that change, you'll have broken one of those input-output relationships. And then when that test runs, it'll be like, hey, this didn't do what you said it was supposed to do, but you can go fix it, right? So the more of these you have, the better, right? Okay, so that's the easy thing. And there, there's a whole like category of people who will tell you, you should unit test the shit out of absolutely everything, right? What I will say is that's kind of true, but actually, that's one of those, like, it feels good to spend time doing, right? Because on the one hand, yes, like the more tests you have, always the better, right? Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, that's not where your problems are going to be coming. Like your problems are not going to be coming from the function that adds two numbers together and gives you the sum of those two numbers. Yeah, and, and very often, like if you got a, if you got a function like that, that's so simple, it's just like a couple lines of code. Uh, if and if you're if you have to write like 200 of these small functions, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but then but then each time you do that, you spend 30 minutes coming up with scenarios and writing tests. Like those functions are so simple and so easy to discern whether they're working or not that making a big suite of unit tests for every single one of them is probably overkill. Yeah, in, probably in not worth the time. Yeah, yeah. but for anything that starts getting complicated, yeah, you want to jam as, as many tests as you can in because that's yeah. where things go wrong, right? Uh, so the problem, though, in things like websites and video games uh, and any kind of dynamic interactive system is that while you can unit test all the individual sort of logic components, what really actually matters is like if I'm trying to sign in and I start from the, the very – where I see a web form, right, uh, can I end up signed in, right? And that means there's all kinds of routes of ways that things can happen because you can like get partway through the process and then get an error from the server or you could put in an invalid email address or you could have or a user account already or right you can hit the back button in the middle of it or whatever. There's all these ways now that, that a person can go through. So this, is like, this is where the idea of the end to end test comes in, right? It's like start to finish, some kind of a process that actually matters. So on the web, usually there's a fairly well-defined finite set of those like for a login flow. It's complicated. But it's pretty well defined. It's mappable. Yeah, until you get into like web app territory. So say you're in like Slack or Favro or something. The number of ways that things can happen just kind of starts to blow up, right? When you bring this into games, it gets even worse. But for two reasons. One is because just the sheer amount of variety of that things can happen just keeps on going up, 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 and up, right? But the worst part is that unlike for, say, the web, which has is built fully on standard ways of doing things, right? And everything is exposed all the time. And you can use like a third party because it all goes through a browser. So you can use like a fake browser that is a test environment or whatever, right? In games, like all you actually get on the other side of a game is what's displayed in the pixels. Mm -hmm. There's not like yep. – there's not HTML you can go inspect. You know, there's not like – and every game has different ways that it ended up getting those pixels on the screen. And so a different different rendering pipeline and yeah. And so you can't just logic and Yeah, so you and you can't just add tests externally using like some common toolkit, right? That's just not a thing you can do yeah. in games. So now every single game developer has to develop their own way of testing, but not just that, also game. yeah, for their particular game. So if you've got 10 games, you're not even using the same tests 
test mechanisms across your own 10 games, right? Because they all just work differently. Because they're just totally different pieces of software. <laughs> yeah. So now you so you take that and and now it's so now it's like, you know, if you're imagining trying to test a game, like what does it even mean? Like let's say you want to test the balance of a game. The fuck does that mean? Right? You're like, it's supposed to feel hard when when the player goes into this particular uh, arena. It's like the testing game, right? the coolness of a car. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah. It's a well, and like, what does it think about this? You know, I kind of think about this in three sort of layers, right? So one is is just critical tests, as in like, if I'm just trying to do stuff in the game, is it does it work? Crashing? Am I losing data? Is it like? Is it even just doing stuff? Um, and then the next the next level up is kind of like um, user flow and general functionality testing where like you're not losing data, the game is not crashing, but are you able to like navigate through the menus? Are you able to discern what to do? Can you like fight creatures and get items and stuff like that? Like basically just... You're saying functionally, you, do the parts that are supposed to exist do what they're supposed to do? Do they, or, yeah, do, they do what they're supposed to do? And does right? nothing terrible happen? Yeah, right. And then the, the the top the top tier it's almost like a Maslow's hierarchy. It is. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. True. The very the very top of it is ex, just experiential. Yeah. Is it actually? As good? in, is it actually like okay? It's, it's doing what it's, it's not crashing. It's working as as intended. But is that even good? Like, is it fun? Yeah. Are there are there typos? Uh, is the balance terrible? And so like you can you can automate automatically test uh, a lot of stuff further down this hierarchy, right? Like as you go to the critical stuff, you can add lots of tests to test for things crashing or like data loss and stuff like that. And you can even do some stuff like in Levelhead, we have an, an automated test uh, thing that actually plays the game for a while. Like it, it runs through a bunch of stuff. It, it publishes a level. It goes into the workshop. It plays some stuff. Uh, this is all happening on our developer server. So it's not doing this like yeah, in production. Well, so so we do this on our, on our build server in particular, right? So because we can you know we can run it locally, but the idea is we can have this like suite of of basic tests that when we make a build for every single one of the platforms we have to build on, we can then boot it up in that test mode and make sure that we can get to the other side of all those tests without it crashing, basically, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that's basically just to say like because because there we're testing like platform compatibility. Right, um, yeah. which is again yeah. a different thing than this that you're saying. Like, is it good? Is a different good. kind of test versus the layer below that, even which is like, is it behaving as intended? But that you have to know what's intended, and you right. have to know how to evaluate that in a test, whether automated or not. Right, but but the question focused on automated tests. Uh, that is an incredibly difficult question to encode into a test. An automated test. Yeah. Well, and we have we've had this conversation quite a few times over the, over the years, where like there there will be times where we you know we publish a patch or something, and on maybe like a platform, maybe I don't know, like on Android or something, uh, the the game is like crashing under certain scenarios or something. Um, but and then another conversation will happen of like, all right, what's wrong with our tests? Right? Like what what went wrong with our with our QA pipeline? Yeah. Why didn't we catch this before it? Yeah. And the answer is always that's something that we didn't have as part of our testing protocol, yeah. right? Because like you can't test literally everything. Yeah. That would take more Nor time you than it exists to, in the right? universe, yeah, right? The goal, the goal is not actually to have no bugs because that essentially – That's said, an impossible goal. Well, it also it, – it, it, 
puts the priority in the wrong place because the priority is on delivering the experience, right? Not yeah. on not on making it somehow an airtight piece of software. Because you can, if you deliver an airtight piece of software that no one cares about, then who cares that you made it? Right. Have no books, right? It doesn't if it matter. took you twenty years to make a like the only the only bug free piece, we were kind of joking about this because I had to do a giant refactor this week of all of the Rumpus web stuff um, in Crashlands Two, and there were a bunch of places where. Uh, I, I found this. I found like huge suites of functions that we used a lot in Levelhead, but actually we're not using at all in Crashlands Two because it's not a, a UGC game. And uh, you know, I was talking with Adam Sam, and I was like, uh, you know, I could refactor this stuff and rebuild it, or I could just delete all of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we're all like, delete, delete it. it. You know why? Because deleted code doesn't cause. It's bugs. the safest code you can have. Yeah, if code, code doesn't exist, it can't crash, mm-hmm. right? And so that's like always the. The golden rule of, you know, try to, if you have code, you have bugs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah. So yeah, you're right, Sam. The goal is not to have zero bugs. The goal is, is. Well, it's to, actually, it's just it's, not even about bugs, right? As in like. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no, it's no. about the user experience. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and yeah. they're, they're, and so we, we categorize things um, based on impact on user experience, right? So. Uh, so data loss, that's the, that's the thing Very we are the most aggressive about trying to have tests for and trying to avoid, right? Because that's the worst possible thing really that can happen downstream to a player is they put 10 hours in the game and it's just gone, right? Uh, that's also when they get the most mad, understandably, and give us the most mm-hmm. grief. And so mm-hmm. nobody's having a good time when there's, when there's data loss, right? So that's the one that we treat as like any data loss thing is a, is fatal, right? And that has to be, we have to figure out why that's going on and we have to address it. And as many automated tests as we can have trying to check for that stuff, we should have. That's like, there's no investment is too much almost, right? Uh, but when it comes to everything else, everything else is just like, okay, well, what actually happens to the player when that thing happens? Because the next thing down is like, can they get stuck? Like they just can't do anything. They can't progress in a meaningful way because something weird has happened. Their game has moved into some state where now they just- to as a soft lock. Yeah. They just can't complete the game now because that's basically the same as data loss because like now their save is just broken. They can't play, right? So similar. That's much harder to deal with and figure out because those are can come from anything, right? Um, but same kind of a deal. We got to treat that as like, this is the worst kind of problem. And then once you get below that though- Everything else is just like, we could probably live with it, right? Just priority. Yep. It's just a prioritization thing, right? And, and so the, yeah. the goal isn't to like, it's not even to identify all of the things that can go wrong, whatever. It's to, it's to basically have an understanding of what is it that truly breaks the user experience and what can we do to maximize our confidence that we're, that those things couldn't have happened in the first place because of our mm-hmm. design and approach to the coding, right? Uh, or that we can catch them before they go live. Um, and then after that, it's just, and I, and I think the end result of all this is that our automated tests are focused on the things the automated tests are good at, which is, can we boot up the game on all the platforms we made to build on, right? Uh, yeah, and, and then we can have it do some basic stuff. Do some that, basic stuff. That, that like every player is definitely going to do in the first few minutes, right? Yep. And and does it get through that? Does it crash? Do, do we lose any data? Are we okay? Yep. Then it's up to then it's up to QA. Yeah, exactly. And after that, it's all experiential. And so our strategy is really just to say, like, as a small team, I don't I would be surprised if there's a team of our size who's invested as heavily into QA as we have, right? We're a team yeah, of eight yeah. full timers, two of those full timers are QA, right? And then we have four or five four part-time mm-hmm. QA. Uh, who collectively put in an extra like 10 plus hours a week, right? 
Um, and we're just continuously testing all the time, just all the fucking time because of exactly this. It's so impossible in games to have any level of confidence about automated tests actually covering the things that can happen that you just need sheer volume of experiential gameplay and people intentionally trying to fuck with it, right? Which is, again, that's the value that QA brings is, is they're like, I wonder what would happen if, and then they go do that thing, right? Uh, which, uh, you know, a, a test suite is not doing. Test suite's doing exactly what you told it to do, yeah. nothing else. I mean, a, a good a good QA tester is 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 priceless, you know, in terms of like, they because being able to just go, to just like, to just be like, all right, I'm going to spend the entire day, eight hours, fucking with this one scenario in the game from every conceivable angle that I can think of and see if I can make it break, right? And that takes a, a certain kind of a brain yeah. to be able to do that and to keep track of it. And, and uh, you know, some people find it like incredibly boring and some people find it incredibly interesting, mm -hmm. right? And there's not very much in between. <laughs> yeah. So, so but then, but like those people who are, are very hard to find. Right? Because let's think about, again, about the games. Games are these dynamic, complex systems, all these interworking parts, right? And so it's like you can you can sit down, you can throw a day of QA time at like what happens with this door, right? Can I bring stuff mm -hmm. through it, blah, blah, blah. The classic door problem, right? And yeah. two weeks later, we, we may have changed something about how phishing works, right? And not, and then didn't realize that there's some connection between doors and fish, right? Mm -hmm. That now got fucked up in some way, right? And that's the kind of thing where it's like the, the, the sheer number of, of like automated tests you would have to continue writing, right? Uh, the tests would be 99% of the code. It's just not, <laughs> it's just not feasible. Um, no but way. having somebody who just is like, oh, cool. Like I saw that fishing changed. Uh, I wonder if that fucked with doors, <laughs> right? It just goes and like <laughs> tries to bring a fish through the door, tries to, tries to go fishing while walking through a door or whatever, right? Uh, like somebody who's can just go try that stuff and see what happens, right? Um, is in the end actually just a lot more effective because again, like the thing with automated tests is they do exactly what, what they're told. And that's I'm it. wondering if you can fish for inside a building casting out no well kind of there's certain scenarios don't worry about that but the, <laughs> they the, worried, Adam. here's the Stand interesting thing that, that, that'll be fine that's that's not gonna cause any problems uh the the famous last words about, interesting thing about this though because i've been i've been i've been watching youtube videos of uh people trying to develop neural net trained ais to play games mm -hmm. so there's one where this guy's like there's a I can't remember the name of the game. It's like a car racing game, like Trackmania maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and he's like, can I make a Trackmania AI that can beat me consistently? Um, and so he's using a neural net with a reinforcement feedback or reinforcement learning with human feedback um, to train it. So it basically it's an AI that knows nothing about the game other than just the very small number of sort of like reward protocols that mm -hmm. that the the author of the AI puts in right so it's like he like read this number in the top left corner that's your your time right and like you need to keep that number low and you get bonus points if you finish the you know blah 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 right. so it's like the way these AIs work is it's just around you have, they have them reading different things on the UI and then they get they they whenever they do something that that they are rewarded for then that changes their parameters a little bit and then they'll they'll optimize toward that and people have done some really interesting stuff like making a, an AI that can play Pokemon, mm -hmm. uh, making an AI that can 
play racing games, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they're, they're like, they're kind of specifically trained for that game, right? You can't like take the racing game and drop it into Pokemon and, it, and it'll work. Yeah, right. But, you know, I think within like a five year span with all the things that are happening with, with neural nets and AI and stuff, it wouldn't surprise me to find um, a, a QA testing company that has AIs that will be able to just pop into your game and interact with it similar to how a player does, but you could just spawn like 10,000 instances of these, uh, have them just do random bullshit in your game, you know, and then Mm -hmm. if any one of them encounters a crash or something, then since it's an AI, they could potentially have like video of the whole thing or even, or just like a, a, some kind of a script that you could run to have it exactly like recreate what it did. So you can watch the sequence. Yeah, I, think I think what's interesting about that though is it, like it still, it doesn't get at the, essentially the fish and door problem, right? Which is like, that's really good for solving essentially the time problem of this, which is that, so let's say, let's say at the end of the day, the original Crashlands has like a 40 to 60 hour playtime, right? That is both very expensive to run a full QA test on, like a full playthrough test on. And also that playthrough is only generating one particular play experience in the whole play space, which gets bigger and bigger as the game progresses, right? Because you could be, you could have done any number of other things by the time. Yeah, the number of states you could be at at that 60 hour mark, if you had taken all the paths possible to get there, right? Is Yeah, it's basically infinite. And so, so I could see a use case for something like that in, in these particular cases where it's like you, you basically you have a longer game that you need playthrough testing on where like you said the rewards are it's it, you can do these kind of like reward based things where it's kind of clearer yeah yeah because each, each, each i actually will think it's somewhat randomly, useless right is my opinion and here's why because there's two ways that this that these ai systems could work right one is they try to be a player right as in they like but but they're approaching just it's a player a generic player playing a random game right which means basically they're going to be optimized for doing random shit uh, players don't do literally completely random shit. And if you're doing completely random shit, you're not actually exploring meaningfully the game's yeah, space, right? Because mm-hmm. you'll just be, in the same way, like, if you're doing random shit, you don't accidentally write a book, right? That's not that's not how that right, works, right? right. right. But you can, you can have a really well-trained model that's supposed to do something like write a book, you know, like an LLM, right? Mm-hmm. And sure, that thing can write a book, right? But can it write... The specific book that you're that you're trying to get it to right. write, right? So, well, I, but more actually, importantly, because like because because now, now let's say so like a racing game actually kind of makes some sense, right? Because like, what are you, what's your average player trying to do? The average player is trying to win at the racing game, right? Yeah, that's like what kinds of things simplistic. can happen. You drive on a fucking road, right? And then like whatever. So like it's pretty straightforward to to imagine like the range of possible ways of playing this game and have those reasonably well represented by some kind of uh, autonomous agent, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you go into, let's say, Baldur's Gate, right? Um, then if you have, what is it that you train this yeah, what's the re- what's AI the re- on so that it meaningfully explores the actual space that players will explore? Mm-hmm. That's right? not what I'm thinking of, though, because it's not about that AI meaningfully. It's about, because I actually disagree. I think players do random sh- shit. It's uh, not in the aggregate. Random. In the aggregate. Mm-hmm. So any given player will do a sequence of things that is predictable for that player and makes sense for that player. Overall, if you have a million players, the amount of random bullshit that's going to happen, that they're going to, like, I, I read this thread of this this person who accidentally softlocked himself in Baldur's Gate, and then they, they listed the sequence of things that they did to accidentally softlock themselves, and it was the wildest series of insane decisions and blunders that I have ever heard of. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and they had to do like 14 really weird things that nobody's ever thought of doing back to back to make this thing happen. And they didn't even realize that they had soft locked themselves until a hundred hours later. <laughs> Nice. gameplay, right? So it's like, yeah, any given player is going to generally follow a fairly predictable, uh, you know, golden path kind of a thing. But if you have an, if you have AIs that essentially behave somewhat like a player, but also have like a, a high degree of kind of chaotic randomness to them, then, and if you have a lot of those AIs running, then you can capture some of these weird and scenarios. And here's my argument is you won't, because the problem with the with the random space of things that could happen in a game is that it's basically mm -hmm. infinite. And that also means that if you throw randomness into randomness, right? If you're like, well, let me make this random robot that just walks around pressing inputs and, you know, following storylines or whatever, right? The, and then you just try to throw vault. Cause like now you're basically, it's a volume game. You're basically saying like, I think I can throw enough robots doing random stuff at this that I can capture what a million players would do. Right. Mm -hmm. My argument is there's not a fucking chance in hell that you can do that because <laughs> the sheer it's like it's like being like, oh, if we had enough monkeys typing at typewriters, we could write yeah, Shakespeare. So let's like get a whole bunch of monkeys until we get one that writes Shakespeare. Right. It's like, no, that's not actually how that works, though. Right. Well, what I'm saying, though, is like it's not about monkeys on type because like monkeys can't write. They can't they can't. You could, you could no train words, monkeys to right? write a few words and see what happens. So, well, I guess what I'm saying is like, and AIs can be trained, and they they are getting more sophisticated and smarter. Yeah, no, sure. Over but, time, but that's my point right? is there's not going to be like here's our generic AI farm that you can throw your your game at, right? right. And we spit at and unless we're talking about true real general AI, which is not still not even on the radar. I know people argue oh, yeah. that it is, in my opinion, no evidence that that's even close to on the radar right now. If we had that, sure, because those are just people now, right? So yeah. fine. But until that point where AIs are people, my point is you would have to, and I'm, so I'm not saying like people won't be doing this. What I'm saying is the amount of investment required to do it versus it's, like hiring a QA It's team. currently high. Yeah. It's, no. Well, it's going to it's gonna stay really, because it's also going to be an expertise domain too, right? Where it's going to, because again, if this was websites that all have like common tech, it's all exposed, et cetera, I would also buy into this argument more because there would be things that you could do in this more generalized ways that people could hook into about, right? But this is an interaction between this like bespoke, because every, every game is a bespoke piece of software that again, mostly you're looking at pixels. So it's going to be this like bespoke training for every single game scenario. And it has to be because what it means for players to interact with games differs so dramatically depending on the game, right? So I don't disagree. This is the kind of thing that will happen. And, and there will be services that do it. What I'm saying is they're not going to be turnkey and they won't be ever. They just, the cost will go down because people will get better and better and better right, at right. figuring out how to train these things, what, how you need to redesign your game to expose the stuff that allow these things to work and so on. And but then to train it, now you have to train against every single one of these individual games, which means spending enormous amounts. Like so, this is the kind of thing that might become part of Keyway's job is is right. training AIs exactly. Yes, and that that I can buy, and I think is not unrealistic, and probably the kind of thing that's going to start happening. Um, but yeah, that's, again, that's, that's kind of like, how I'm envisioning. Yeah, it's going like, to be. It's not going to the the cost. And, so basically, all I'm saying is it's not going to be a general thing because this is not a generalizable problem. And the same with that writing just that you writing tests for your own code isn't a generalizable problem, right? Um, yeah, yeah. But but yeah, I think about it like you know, VS Code is a general tool that allows you to write whatever code you want, right? But you still have to like learn the code and like do some, like actually yeah. write it yourself, right? So I think about it kind of the same way, which is that 
um, in the in the shorter term, there's probably going to be some companies that like start to offer this where where you as the developer would probably have to spend a, a pretty healthy chunk of time, you know, like weeks uh, working with parameters and trying to get these AIs to a point where they could actually like do some stuff in your game. Because like if you watch these videos about the AIs like playing Pokemon or like these these people worked on these AIs for months. Yeah. Oh yeah. And months, like tweaking their parameters and trying to get them to be able to do stuff. And, and they usually they don't quite the thing, get there. Yeah, they know? couldn't have taken the thing that made them be like, okay, go play chess now, right? Like it's not. Yeah. It's not. But also works. like this this kind of it's, it's it reminds me of like the human genome project where like sequencing the first genome took what like a decade or something, and then now it's like minutes. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's just one of those like it it's going to be insanely labor intensive and very impractical and expensive for almost everybody at the outset. But as the tech gets smarter and more efficient and faster and also like if if a let's say you've, you've got an AI that's trained up to play Diablo 6 or whatever, right? Um, it's possible that you could somehow sort of like adapt that model to a, a similar kind of hack and slash RPG and take some of the same kinds of like reward structures and stuff and use that to kind of like as a starting point mm-hmm. and and accelerate uh, the training for yeah. next games, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think I have um, sort of – so yeah, I generally agree with that stuff, but I have sort of two points of caution around it. Because um, yeah. I agree, this stuff is going to start. I, th- to I think there should be infinite points. There's of infinite, but I think, I, mean, I think the two yeah. biggest ones, though, unless I forget them while I'm talking, which you know is constantly happening to me. Yeah, uh, are, well, one for sure. Uh, are are that is, since this is such a bespoke problem, what we're first going to see is the charlatans. That's what's going to happen first. So, so my oh, yeah. my big argument right now is if you see somebody claiming that you can hand them your game and they're going to do testing using AI, run the fuck away, give them no money, right? They are not going to give you any good results. It's not going to happen. And so that's, that's number one. And then number two is just because it's AI and just because it's testing your game and just because it's trained on your game and just because it does run certain kinds of tests well does not mean it's actually a replacement for – It's not comprehensive. Human stuff. Um, and there's no such thing as yeah. comprehensive testing. That's an important yeah. point, right? Um but the question is, you always have to be asking is, what are you trying to test and why? And does the testing mechanism that you have actually test that, right? Because even once people are using a lot of AI systems to test their games, what are they testing at that point? They're testing what they trained on. They're testing what they put their, all the levers mm-hmm. they pulled to say, here's the reward. Which is how tests just, currently work. Yep. Yeah. It's right. the same thing, just a scale, right? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, but it's the same. So, so, so. You'll have sure you'll have made like an autonomous system that can do it, but it's actually reflecting a subset of players, right? Um, Don't think it's a panacea, basically for your testing yeah. needs. And yeah. and it's yeah, and and, I, and so I think it's going to be one of those things that like just like with all this AI stuff that's happening, I think it's going to be one of those toolkits that as it develops and as it becomes accessible, it will start to become indispensable. Where yeah, where you can really leverage those things to accomplish a lot, right? But mm-hmm. if you are thinking the same way that a whole bunch of like websites and stuff were like, hey, we could fire all of our editors now because J- chat GPT exists, right? Or whatever. It's like, no, that's not. No. No, that's not. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. not actually what these are for. And that doesn't give you the outcome you think it's giving you. It's not giving yeah. you good results that are now cheaper. It's just giving you results that are better than if you had a monkey doing it, right? Yeah. The, the AI is it does not have curiosity it does not have fun it still it does, does not what you tell right yeah. yeah so like it's not a player it's not a journalist it's not an author yeah. it's a it's a robot it's a yeah. very sophisticated robot 
but it doesn't give and, a fuck. And importantly, you, and you, can, and importantly <laughs> you can make the same argument for people doing QA, right? So this isn't really even about mm-hmm. AI like not being sufficient or whatever. Because you can have right. a bad you, QA tester that only tests dumb things that they shouldn't be testing that don't reflect what the player's going to do, right? That's also true, right? But we already know that, though. We already know that you could have a bad tester. Like, that's just ingrained in our brains. Yeah. The thing that I worry about with all this stuff is that people will assume that AI is just Yeah, good. they will assume that AI yeah. is just <laughs> yeah. There's a little halo right. around it, right? Yeah, like, and, oh. and I think yeah, like the most important thing you can do is even though none of the AI, AI stuff that exists currently or is even on the radar is even remotely general and It's not ready, right? It's not ready for it. Still treat it like a person, though. If you treat but, it like a person, the same way you would treat hiring a person, right? Mm-hmm. Check the word. It's still, it's way cheaper than hiring a person. That's true, right? But it's still just a person though. At the end of the day, in terms of like, you're asking it to do something for you. Here's it's going to do something for you. Maybe until, good, maybe bad, but treat it the same way you would a person. Until such time as when I go through a self-checkout and it can correctly identify when I <laughs> don't have items or do have items. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or can tell what the fucking item is, you know? Yeah. Until such time as it isn't just randomly being like, please place the, I'm like, I'm done though. The I funny thing about item. that is I, I definitely completely understand what you're going for, but these are two completely different no, no, technologies. No, no. I know. Well but aware. I understand well that where you're like, you're like, it seemed, they're both the same in a sense. Like it's a robot trying to do something a human's doing, right? Yeah. So like, I definitely understand the analogy. Yeah. Uh, well, I, think I do think that important, if one right? of them because, works, the other should work. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and it's it's and I think this this is where like the AI stuff like this is why I'm I use it. I love it. I think it's great, right? But I use it as a very skeptical person for that same reason because the the thing that's different about like the about the checkout line, right, is that you instantly know if the thing is full of shit instantly. Yes, right. Yes. And with all the cool AI stuff that's going on right now, including future automated game testing and whatever, right. It's not at all obvious. In it's fact, it's really tell. hard to tell. In fact, Just you have to saying. dig deep to find out if it's full of shit or not. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think all of the risks come into play. And again, this is where the charlatans come out of the woodwork. So, yeah. so the main reason I that I'm that I I always start with a pessimistic negative view on like all AI stuff. It's not even about AI. It's because of how the charlatans are going to use it and how people understand it and they treat it like an oracle slash source of truth or whatever. Right? When yeah. That and that, because if you, as long as you don't treat it like that, as long as you treat it like any per any rant, like imagine hiring somebody off of like a random website, right? If that's how you treat it, then you can use it really effectively and it can be great, right? Uh, but if you treat it any other way, you're just you're gonna be suddenly finding yourself in just the worst possible situation and being like, oh no, how did how did I get like I don't know if you guys have been seeing the stuff that's popping up on like Google search results and stuff where where all this AI generated random bullshit content. It'll just like it's just straight up lies about stuff now. Where you'll, you'll do, I, I saw a search for I can't remember what it was, but it was a search for just like a fact. It was just like, it was like, oh yeah, it was. It was. Are there any countries in Africa that start with the letter K? Was the search that I saw, and then there was just some random weird website that Google pulled the answer from, you know, and it was just like it just said no, and it was like the closest, <laughs> the closest is Kenya, which starts with a K sound, but not, <laughs> but, but not. Okay. Or it was like some weird ass answer like that, you know, because again, these things aren't giving you truth. They're giving you statistically likely sequences of letters. Right. And, yeah. and now this is like, everything's mm. being, because again, if you treat it like that versus the tool that it is, then you, this is the outcome that we get. Right. And so 
I'm just very. It's basic. It's that fucking mm. thing from Adventure Time that has approximate knowledge of many. That's things. exactly what it is. <laughs> you know, I love that little villain. So good. It's the villain where it's like what. It, he tries like, to pounce on him, but he like jumps behind a different stalactite. The guy's yeah, behind. like like he knows that he knows that Finn is behind a stalactite, but it doesn't know which one, yep. right? It's yep. for some reason it it knows part of it, but it doesn't know all of it. Yeah. But all that's always all the time. That's how this like being operates. It has just some amount of knowledge of everything, mm-hmm. but it doesn't know everything about everything. Yep. <laughs> so, so it just kind of makes shit up to fill, fill in the, the gaps. gaps. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's uh, yeah. And the only way for an AI to be actually all knowing is if it actually did have a full record of all information, which importantly is though, impossible, right? Important, but there's a reason it's impossible, which is that there's two reasons. One is you got to get access to it, but the other one is the information that exists isn't true, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Yes. <laughs> there's no there's no training set out there that like here's here's a bunch of just literally true stuff, right? So Capital T truths, yeah. Yeah. There's at best everything is a reasonable model of the truth, right? But that's also far from the truth about what the data is that's actually out there. The data that's out there is mostly just wrong. It's mostly so I think you can say flat wrong. Kenya starts with the letter. Kenya starts with the letter. You can K. say that. That's a good it truth. It does. Yeah, there are some, well, uh, but but there aren't general <laughs> truths in the way that like because you need to like to, to train these things. You just need so much fucking data, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there isn't a source of truths out there that represents like human knowledge, right? Because there's no such thing as human knowledge. That's not a thing right. that exists, right? Well, I mean, there's, there's, not, there's it's not just a wibbly wobbly. Well, it's every human has their own knowledge, and the internet has like the collection of all the things people have said publicly on the internet, right? And whatever, like you, if you it's, collect all those things together and call that human knowledge, what you have is ninety nine percent bullshit, ninety nine point nine percent bullshit, or bespoke one off things that aren't knowledge in a meaningful not really sense. applicable. Yeah, it's not applicable in, to in the other context. <laughs> and then this tiny, tiny little bit that's like actually quote Hard unquote truth. true, right? But that's so non-representative. Like the data that we have isn't representative of the truth, and it can't be, and it never will. Well, and it's a it's a statistical model too. So if you ask it, like, yeah, what, statistic, if you ask it about whether whether Kenya starts with a K, like, how many people are having that conversation on the web yeah. about whether Kenya? Apparently, starts with not a K? enough of them. It's not <laughs> very many, because why would you even ask that if yeah, you're yeah, spelling like, like, the, if you're spelling the country, you know what the first. Yeah, in letter fact, is. the more true a thing <laughs> is. The less likely the less it's, it's going to be about, debated. And therefore, yeah. the less that AI could ever know about it. Yeah. So you know. Water is wet. We don't really need to spend much time talking about that fact. So the, well, that the only time we do be... is talked about as a joke, you know? So like, yeah. yeah, if you start talking to an AI about the wetness of water, I don't know what would happen. I've never tried that. But like, what about ice though? I'm still not sure if you know water is wet. I know water, <laughs> I know water makes things wet. But Just I don't know if it. water Water has wet. multiple forms, so we got to be a little more specific. Yeah, I think wet, water's not wetness wet. is the existence of a thin film of water on a non-water surface. Right. But can other liquids make things wet? I'm pretty sure they can. Uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> if you, so like if you spilled, some, if you spilled some oil in your water, you're like, oh, I got my water wet. <laughs> no, like, if or you spilled oil you get your oil your wet, water, <laughs> you made your water oily. Is what you did. Yeah, and you made your oil wet. No, you didn't. Well, no, I guess the oil's you didn't. On top are, you saying, are you saying wetness can only come from water? That is what I'm saying. I don't believe that for a second. I yeah, feel like Sam, as somebody who's probably gotten peed and pooped on quite a bit. Hey, here's the, the thing. Past, uh, <laughs> let me tell you, there's a lot pee of liquids. Is, pee is just water. <laughs> pee is just water. If it's oh, I know pee. Is if water, it's watery enough to make something wet, it's just water now. 
So okay. what about it's like, you know, though. mercury, for example, can't make things wet because it doesn't like get in nope. there. It doesn't get in it there. It goes through yeah. stuff and it's liquid. Wetness is about it's surface still tension. still liquid, yeah. But it's got a different kind of surface tension, yeah. And yeah, it's just, no, it's not wet. I like mean, you wouldn't touch mercury stuff. and be like, "Ooh, that was wet." You'd be like, "I got fucking mercury." On my I'm finger. gonna die. Yeah. <laughs> but, what, but what about like, what about liquid sulfur or something? If you get liquid sulfor on you, are you wet? Uh, liquid sulfur. Oh, you mean like, at that point you are, I think, melted. I mean, you might be dead, but are you wet? You no, you died. <laughs> you died before you, you could have been wet. I understand. You have made other different. things wet because you melted onto them. Yeah, yeah, you know. That, yeah, with all of your did internal you, water-based juices. As a puddle, <laughs> now you are the wetener. I said, you does know? your blood yeah. make the sulfur wet? I don't know. These are the uh, questions. Only if it's on the surface of the sulfur, because wetness again, wetness is a thin film. Because once you thick thicken that film up, now you just got a puddle. You know what I mean? Like puddles aren't so. Wet. I guess puddles are made out of water. It's a different. Thing. So I guess to wrap it up, then we don't even know. It. We don't even know if water is wet. At least that's an unsolved question at yeah. this point. People so if we don't even know that. The eons, you know? <laughs> yep, same thing. If we don't even know that, then how can we possibly say what the first letter of Kenya is? You know so what I mean? We don't know. It certainly makes a case sound, though. That's all you could yeah. say. It could. Yeah, because I, I think it, if I recall correctly, <laughs> that, might answer, make a C sound. that answer finished with so that Kenya starts with the K sound. Was that it's like, like the Which the is fair. Which is not wrong, but also. That's a fair assessment. Yeah, but also doesn't mean that it doesn't start with the letter K. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, I'm, I mean, there's probably a bunch of different ways to, to write out the name of Kenya in different languages. Yeah, the way that it wrote it in its answer was with the letter K. Just to, Well, with the K sound. Let's not Sorry, get yeah, with the K, carry away there. With the K sound that they spelled <laughs> with the letter K, yep. which is different than it That's actually different. starting with yeah, it's a whole different thing. That's a different concept, yeah. So, well, well, anyway, you, that's all the time we have. Ever dig into, I'm gonna just fit right if you ever dig okay, into anything yeah. about fucking languages, though, like the difference between them. So I was just reading about UTF, uh, UTF-8 mm -hmm. recently, which is like how you encode all the different fonts or all the different characters in the world right into a single alpha or whatever, so a single set of characters. And that shit is what's so like, if you were to tell me like, Kenya doesn't start with the letter K and then tip and it did. And it told me that in computer terms, I'd be like, I believe you actually. That's fair. That's probably yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. It's it might even, it might start with an emoji with or some anything. kind of, some kind of weird twisty no thing. I don't even know what it is. Uh, yeah. So anyway, language is confusing. We don't know anything. Knowledge mm -hmm. isn't real. Yep. That's yep. a good place to leave it for the week. Very spooky. I like yeah. It. I'm freaked out. Uh, We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Sampa DaCosta, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. And as always, uh, head on over to Steam and give Crashlands 2 a wish list. It helps us out a ton, helps the game uh, get more visibility, boosts it in the, you know, the store Stuff. algorithm. Yep. All that stuff. Uh, we really appreciate that. So thank you very much. Thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.